Well, good morning. Welcome to Shelby Christian Church. Hey, you guys that are joining us online, welcome in uh, this morning as well. A couple quick announcements I have before we get started this morning. Um, this week, we're going to be hopefully having our fall uh, fun festival over here on the soccer fields Wednesday night. Uh, that is obviously going to be dependent on uh, how the weather cooperates. So be watching early this week, tomorrow. I'm sure we'll talk about it staff meeting Tuesday. Uh, if the weather works out, we will be having that over there Wednesday night. So just a reminder for those of you guys who have, have signed up maybe to uh, host a table or pass out candy or volunteer for that on Wednesday night. And then the second thing is our unceasing prayer um, initiative starts tonight at 12 o'clock. So if you signed up for that. Uh, after 12 uh, midnight tonight, uh, you will be on in the next 24 hours. So don't forget that. You should have gotten an email uh, from Dave with a uh, schedule and a packet of things to be praying about. If you need one of those, there are some of those over here underneath uh, the cross uh, on the table. So please grab one of those today before you leave. Would you guys stand up with me as we begin to worship today? You know, I was thinking this morning, I was getting ready. Chances are that as we stand in this room this morning and worship... That some of us have had a good week. Maybe something really exciting happened in your life or in your family. And so you're, you're rejoicing today. You're celebrating today. But chances are there's probably someone standing close to you, next to you, maybe six feet, six feet away from you. Uh, they didn't have a very good week this week. Maybe they got uh, some really bad news about someone who's sick or they lost their job. Or a marriage that's in crisis. And so whether we are celebrating or we're mourning, we have an opportunity this morning to worship, don't we? And so in the good times and in the bad times, in the valleys and on the peaks of the mountains, we have an opportunity to worship Jesus, our King, the only Holy One, right? And so that is why we are here today. So I hope you guys will join us this morning as we do exactly that, worship our King.
to our uh, time of communion this morning and uh, here in a minute you guys will be free to come to one of the tables around the auditorium and, and grab your communion and make your way back to your uh, your seat for that time and also there will be a time for your offering in the uh, black offering boxes as well this morning. You know I was thinking this week about this series that we're in, um, Jesus the Atoning Sacrifice. And, and atonement is a, is a word we don't use a lot, right? Maybe hear it only when you come to church. But atonement means the reconciliation between God and mankind. Reconciliation that we can't make. Reconciliation requires a third party to bring two parties together who are at odds with one another. And what we understand when we read Scripture is that on one side there is this holy God who is pure and blameless and without fault and cannot be in the presence, will choose not to be in the presence of anything sinful or unholy or unclean. And then on the other side is us, sinful, unclean, criminals with fault, with many, many many faults. And so we have a problem. There is a dilemma. A God who desperately wants to be in a relationship with us. And so he says, I have a plan. And it's my son. And so Jesus, this holy, blameless, perfect son of God, he will be the plan. His blood 
will cover your sins. Because what we also find in the New Testament is that what God teaches us is that the wages of our sin is death. Someone has to die. In the Old Testament, it was an animal sacrifice. With the New Covenant, we understand that Jesus did that for us. He reconciled us to God. We were hopeless and helpless and had no way to God. Only through Jesus is that made possible. And so this morning, as we take this communion, we are mindful of that. We remember that sacrifice that was made on our behalf. The body of Christ that was broken and beaten and bled for us, for all of mankind, for all of eternity, until Jesus comes back. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God, this morning we thank you that you have a plan for us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of a broken, fallen world that has no way back to you other than through your son. We're so thankful. We are so, so thankful that we've heard that good news, that we've heard the message, that we've received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we are following in the ways of Jesus this morning. And as we stop and remember that sacrifice, we're humbly just in awe of what you would do for us. So God, please be with everyone who takes this communion this morning as we remember your incredible love for us through the cross. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. song we could ever sing.
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Beside you. 
Man, the words of that song. It's tough building a life that's not going to be shaken in a world that's really shaky at times, isn't it? I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad guys are watching online. I just checked uh, a while ago. We got people like on five, six different states already watching. Uh, hey, Keith and Christian, glad that you guys are with us this morning. Uh, and several others that are, that are traveling or out and things like that. So we're really glad you guys are here. Uh, this morning, it's going to be fun. We kind of got, you got two different messages, all right? Uh, but they're, they're kind of in the same vein of we're just trying to build the kingdom to, to build a life and, so this morning, before we dig into Luke 20, where we're going to spend uh, some time, we want to spend some time reminding you about something that we think that we think is very important, that we think is an answer to prayer uh, of several months, even years of prayer, that we would be able to do something powerful and productive and it starts next Sunday morning at 1130 when we launch for the very first time our Hispanic service here on the hill uh, at 1130 and uh, a couple months ago we ordained several new deacons Uh, one of them was Sebastian uh, Sebastian Morea and their family have been worshiping with us for several years, five, six, eight, I don't know how many years, uh, several years now. Uh, they've been really involved in Sunday Night Life Group. They've been really involved for the last two, three, four years in our middle school, Sunday morning middle school ministry. Uh, and Sebastian, the first time I ever met him, like in a one-on-one, we had barbecue together uh, down in Louisville. And he just shared his story with me. And I knew right then, God has got something. God has got something coming. Uh, Sebastian was born in, in Chile. And I just know, I just know that he is the perfect man. And the, they are the perfect family to help us give birth to Shelby Cristiana in Espanol. How's that? Pretty good, huh? For, for a big guy from Kentucky. All right. Would you guys welcome Sebastian? Come on up here, man. Hopefully some of you guys already know Sebastian. Uh, I've gotten to know he and his family. They're wonderful. Like I said, uh, Sebastian was born uh, and raised in Chile. And so I just wanted him to kind of share the Reader's Digest version of how's a guy born in Chile end up in Shelbyville, Kentucky? How did all that happen? Go. <laughs> so, first of all, good morning. Um, I was uh, pretty good uh, at tennis. Uh, under 18 years old, I was uh, national champion for Chile and uh, internationally ranked. So, Yeah, wait a minute. He's being nice. He was in the top 100 in the world uh, as as a young man in tennis. So, yeah, he's pretty good. I I, I think he can take Dove. I'm just going to go with that, okay? All right. Now, I just you're being too nice and, and, and too modest, so go. So in 1999, I came to play some big tournaments. Uh, several college coaches saw me play, uh, after which I started getting recruited. Uh, so in 2000, I accepted a full col- uh, scholarship uh, for the University of Louisville and moved over to uh, Kentucky to start my bachelor's. All right. So, yeah, I still love you, man. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> so in that journey, in that journey, coming to here, uh, talk a little bit about your faith journey. Is that I, I know that you were raised believing in God, but came to a further understanding about what that meant 
after you got in the States. Tell us a little bit about that part of the journey. Absolutely. So I grew up as a Catholic. Um, I was fortunate to have uh, a few faithful men in my life that taught me how to read the Bible get involved uh, in church. But it really wasn't until a couple of years after coming here in the States when I started attending Christian church that I truly understood the uh, plan of salvation. Uh, up until that point, you know, I was convicted that I had to earn salvation, that it was through my works that I would be saved. And uh, here is where I understood that it's through Jesus' sacrifice and God's grace that we are saved. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, right then I got uh, baptized, and I literally felt a huge uh, amount of weight lifted off of my shoulders. And right then, I knew that I was saved. Yeah. One of the most uh, beautiful emotional things that I've watched over the years is Sebastian over there baptizing your kids uh, as they've come to that understanding. And uh, so here's how. Here's fast forward a few years. Uh, Sebastian, Maria, their family been here, been involved, like I said, and stuff. And early in this year, uh, we set, we set up four goals or vision teams, and I've talked to you about that before. And one of them was that okay, it's time to get serious about doing something with our Hispanic community here in Shelby County. And so uh, we had uh, elders and staff assigned to each of those vision things. And Dennis and Matt uh, have been involved through uh, soccer with their Hispanic community. So they were our staff people. And it was pretty obvious we need this guy on the team. And he was in Joshua's Men and doing leadership training. And so uh, kind of through just a couple months of talking to Dennis and and became ordained and kind of took on the role of, okay, I'm going to be the deacon in this. Still didn't know what it was going to look like. Uh, and then just God kept putting stuff on your heart. So why don't, I just want you to take a few minutes and share the kind of vision that God has given you for what this uh, new ministry is going to look like uh, that's going to launch next week. Absolutely. So after talking to Matt and talking to uh, Dennis, uh, it became obvious to me that they've been doing such an amazing job outreaching, uh, you know, to the community over the last few years. And uh, I think God talked to me about making a home for, you know, some of those people that we're reaching out to, um, you know, so that they can engage with us on a regular basis. Um, so the plan now is to start a uh, uh you know, Spanish service, 100% in Spanish, you know, like you mentioned earlier, that we will have at the stew uh, every Sunday starting at 1130. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to, you know, recognize a few people. Uh, for one, uh, Bradley and the student ministry have done such an amazing job renovating the stew and uh, making, it, making it look great, uh, allowing us to have a great space that we're going to be able to offer to our guests um, and also, again, the, um, you know, crepes and the doves, uh, family who have done so much for the Hispanic community over so many years, really making this, uh, uh, you know, an opportunity right now mm-hmm. through their, uh, connections and their, uh, community involvement. Okay. What do you envision next Sunday? What do you envision that time at 1130 looking like? So the way it will work, uh, we're basically going to do the best job that we can uh, welcoming people. 
we will have a very similar service as what is happening here on the main auditory. We will have worship, uh, which will happen through uh, videos that we've been able to get from a church in Colombia that does an amazing job and, and we found great uh, content that we can leverage uh, through them. So we will have worship. Uh, we will uh, have a sermon just you know, like uh, the congregation will have here uh, this morning. And the idea is that these uh, you know, members of the Hispanic community will feel comfortable, will listen to the message in the language that they're most uh, comfortable with, and that uh, that will get them to start coming here on a regular basis. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, what's already been going on here for two or three years now is pre-COVID especially. Uh, on Friday nights, we did this thing called futsal, which is basically indoor soccer. And Matt has championed that, and it's been incredible. And on most Friday nights, there was 50 to 100 people up here playing soccer till close to midnight uh, in the gym, the overwhelming majority of which were people of Hispanic descent. So they were like here on campus in our facility and we'd be like, how do we make the transition from the gym to a worship setting? And, and while we're, you know, we're in this season of, of, of racial reconciliation and working through that, in this particular, particular racial reconciliation, there's the language issue, which has been great. We can love on people, but we needed someone someone who could speak the language and, and that's what you know his the commitment he's made is and, and forcing me to make is because by about wednesday this week i need to send him a sermon uh for next week and he's going to take what we're doing in here translated so literally what happens in the stew is going to be as close to possible it's what's going on in here and uh, we're just going to wait and see what God's going to do and how life can change. So last thing, Sebastian, what can we do to help make this as successful as possible? You know, ultimately, God's the one that's in control of that. But what do you need us to do to uh, help make this thing work? So first and foremost, pray for us that we act in wisdom, that, you know, we are effective. But uh, most importantly, that we honor God through our work. Um, also, uh, you know, I ask that you help us make these uh, new guests uh, comfortable. So if you get an opportunity, please uh, let them know that they're welcome. Uh, and also by serving, if any of you speaks a little bit of Spanish, we would love to have you as an ambassador to help our guests uh, navigate the campus. Okay. Quick Spanish lesson, all right? Everybody, this is participation, all right? Hola. Hello. Buenos dias. Okay, good day. I mean, that if you're, you know, smiles and that, and just like, man, we're, we're so glad. They'll take care of the rest of it. They'll, they'll take care of the rest of it. And just making people feel welcome. Loving on people. We're, we're in the process. Dennis is working a lot. You're going to see, I don't know, Dennis, maybe some of them are already up now, but there's going to be signage all around our facility that is going to be in Spanish. Uh, just as it is in English. Uh, we want people to participate. Dennis worked this week. There's an offering box over there, and the sign on one side is English. So for Bradley and the students to use for their services, and you flip it around, and it's in Spanish. And we're just doing, we're trying to figure out all those little things that we can do so that if someone drives onto our campus next week or in the next month to come, that the only language,
language that they speak is Spanish at this point, that they see some things that says they made preparations. We're important here. And so uh, just a lot of smiles and a lot of waves. And uh, like I said, the service will be in the stew. And so we've got signs coming and when they pull on campus. So uh, folks that are looking and are kind of lost will park in the front parking lot. But for those of you guys that serve as greeters, uh, if someone kind of gets turned around and they end up over here and it's kind of obvious they're looking for the Hispanic service, hey, let's be really gracious host and follow me and let's walk them to the stew at 1130, not just point that way, all right? Uh, and let's just be gracious, gracious host. And these, uh, you said guest, uh, let's just start talking about family and uh, being part of our family uh, and look forward to God, what God's going to do. I want us to pray right now uh, as a church family uh, for Sebastian, for Maria, for Juan, who's going to help in there, uh, for Heidi and Leticia and several of our people that are part of our church family that are already bilingual and uh, just see what God is going to do. And I can't wait to share uh, the stories and the victories. So let's pray together. Can we do that? Um, God, in the powerful name of Jesus, I just thank you uh, that you are in the process of answering uh, months, even years of prayer, of research, of uh, surveying, of just seeing, seeing what you could do through us. And so, God, I pray your blessing over Sebastian. Uh, God, I pray that you will anoint his words as he uh, communicates on behalf of Shelby Christian, most importantly, as he communicates on behalf of you. And I just thank you for his story and for his journey. I pray a hedge of protection over him and Maria and their kids. And God, that you will just use them for something spectacular uh, as we make Jesus famous in a certain new section of our community that we haven't done as good a job of reaching uh, in the past as we should have. And we look forward uh, to a harvest there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, brother. Go get them. Go get them. Man, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be... Uh, it's going to be so exciting. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, uh, go ahead and open them to Luke chapter 20. And uh, now uh, with the, we've got a kind of a daunting task. We knew we wanted to do this this morning, what we just did with, with Sebastian and all. But we also, <clears throat> we have an entire chapter uh, to try to deal with in a much shorter period of time. So uh, get your Bibles out, buckle your seatbelt, and here, here we go. Okay, um, like Jason said earlier, this is the this mini series is kind of about the atoning sacrifice. And last week uh, we kind of we're walking through the last week of Jesus' life. And last week was Sunday, the triumphal entry, and Monday the temple confrontation. So where we are, just chronologically in history, in Luke chapter twenty, <clears throat> is on Tuesday. Tuesday is often known as the day of questioning. So I've got a question for you. I'm going to question, it's really the question that Jesus was asked that day. It was really summarized this way. Have you ever thought about what it would be like <clears throat> to live in a world without authority? Now, come on. 
every teenager that has ever lived, so I know some of you got to go back a few years, but every teenager that has ever lived has dreamed of that kind of world. No rules, no restrictions, no right, no wrong. Sounds really fun at first, at first, at first. But you need to take a second look so you can really understand what that would mean. A world... A world without authority would mean there were no stop signs, no traffic lights at intersections. I've been to that place. It's called Haiti. Uh, It's not a lot of fun most days, Uh, but there's more. There would be no government, no standards, no regulations. There'd be no teachers, no police officers or parents or coaches or leaders of any kind because you don't need them. No rules, no authority. It really sounds a lot like this place that developed a few months ago called Chaz. Y'all read about Chaz? It was the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle. It was that area of Seattle up on Capitol Hill that after the George Floyd incident, the, the group of people said, we don't need no rules, we're taking over, this is our place. And so they built this compound around a four-block area up in this uh, area of Capitol Hill in Seattle and said, we're running this place. And they literally put up barriers and walls. Kind of ironic to me that uh, in their pro test they built the wall but that's a different story um but they built these walls and and then oh i don't know took about two days they realized some fundamental problems inside that four block radius that they had claimed as this new country they were calling jazz there were no grocery stores no restaurants no farms therefore no food. That presented a problem after about 48 hours. They also realized that as there was no food and people were getting upset about that and they started kind of fighting among themselves and then some of the fighting got uh, really violent and they didn't know what to do because there was no police. There were no rules. It sounded great for a little while, but as Mark Deaver said, It could go on for a little while, but before long it would seem pointless and then cruel and then unutterably tragic. Now, in this, I said we're going to do a whole chapter here in Luke chapter 20, and you're looking and you're seeing it's 47 verses, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, uh, you know, three services are going to become one, and we're just going to let people start filtering in as they get here. No, we're going to do this, okay? But here's how I want us to envision this chapter of Scripture. I want you to think uh, about a shelf in your house that contains a library of books that you really enjoy. And on either end of that shelf are bookends. There's two bookends, and then there's four massive volumes in the center. That's kind of how I envision this chapter. So we're going to look at a bookend, and then we're going to cruise through the four books that are the case studies, and then we're going to look at the other bookend. Okay? The first bookend kind of could be described. That book, that book is verses 1 and 2. Uh, of Luke chapter 20 and could kind of be described this way. Who put you in charge? As you look at Luke chapter 20 verses 1 and 2 and just I hope you got your Bibles open because we're not going to take time and we don't have time today to read everything but in those verses they basically asked Jesus who put you in charge? Now why would they ask that? The day before this the day before this Jesus had come in and cleared the temple. 
And now we, as we talked about last week, he, he cleared the temple, not because just because they were selling things, but because the people that were selling these, they were taking advantage of people whose hearts was bent toward worship, whose heart was coming to worship in the tradition that they knew. And, and they were exchanging money at exorbitant rates. They were selling the livestock that could be used as sacrifice at exorbitant rates. They were gouging the people. That's what Jesus was upset about. And so he turned over the tables. He threw them out of the temple. And in verse 2, you get to, who gave you this authority? Translated today, who put you in charge? Who put you in charge? Who do you think you are? That whole issue of authority, it really messes with us. It really does. It messes not just with teenagers. I think it messes with all of us. I remember a couple of years ago, we were in working in a, in a recovery group teaching on a night and, and Kim was actually the one teaching that night and it was about just learning to submit to authority. It was the worst night we ever had. It wasn't that people said things. You could just, you know, when you're in a room and you can just read the body language and it's uncomfortable. You, you can just tell that people are squirming and, and, and the look on their face and, and, and the obvious look on their face was, I don't like nobody telling me what to do. Now, let's be real. I think every one of us in here is guilty of that at some level, right? Every one of us is guilty of that at, at some level. I just don't like anybody telling me what to do. I'm, I'm one of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big boy, I'm a big girl, I make good decisions, I'll just do what, just don't, just don't be telling me what to do. And, and, and it, it raises its ugly head in the school. It raises its ugly head at the office, I bet, of, of people that are like that person in the office that whether they have the authority or not, they think they do. And then they want to they wanna tell everybody how it's supposed to be done. That the person at the factory on the line and everybody's you know got their assigned job on the line, but you know, there's that one guy that wants to tell everybody how to do their job on the line and just, you know, who put you in charge? And that's kind of what they're asking Jesus. Remember back when you were a kid in school? A kid in school and it was recess and you got to go outside and something goes down. There's kind of some interaction on the playground or maybe it's in the backyard of the neighborhood at home. And, and the one who maybe is the oldest or who thinks he is or what steps in and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. And somebody spouts off with, says who? Remember that? Says who? And, and, you know, depending on how tough the person was, you know, what was the, what was the padded response? Says me. That's how we're going to do this. That's how we're going to do this. That, I hope, gives you a mental picture of what's going on here on this day of questioning. This Tuesday in the temple, Jesus is kind of stepped up and it's the next day and they've left and they're not doing, but they're coming back going, who gave you the authority to do what you did yesterday? Just who do you really think you are? Now remember, all this is an effort to trap Jesus. And the interesting thing to me at this moment on this day is that Jesus didn't play the card that he had up his sleeve. You know, he could have played the I am card. And in fact, in my perspective, it would have been a really good time to play the I am card. But he didn't. He didn't play the I am card, but he could have. And see, today, our world is still, 
it's still asking those questions. It's still asking those tough questions. Who put you in charge? Says who? Our, Our world is asking, who says abortion is murder? Our world says, who says marriage is to between, be between a man and a woman? Our, our world is saying, who says that in-person worship is important? Our, our world is saying, who says that our, world's, our words really matter and that we should be kind, that we should be nice? Who says a human arrogance is misplaced? And you see, we see all those things going on in our world today, don't we? And certain people, depending on which side of the particular argument that it is, is saying, well, what gives you the right to say, or who says, or who put you in charge? And the fundamental answer to the question posed to Jesus 2,000 years ago is the same fundamental answer today. God did. God did. That's where the authority comes from. The fundamental answer to the questions being posed in our world today is God. Who says all these things? God. God says that human arrogance is misplaced. God says that marriage is between a man and a woman. God says those things. But the interesting thing about the interaction with Jesus that day was that he could have so easily said, me, God. That's who said it. But instead, Jesus started to teach. He waited for some more questions, and he started to teach. And that brings us to those four volumes in the middle of the bookends. Because what you have there is you have four case studies. Four very direct case studies that, man, get ready. Because right now, in fact, you might want to pull that seatbelt a notch tighter. Because we are getting ready to cruise here, all right? Uh, because that is one. But I want to look at those case studies just real briefly. Because it's uh, Jesus answers these questions. He's answering that, says God. It's what he's answering. The first case study is about who the cornerstone is. And Jesus tells a parable about a guy, a vineyard owner, who plants a vineyard and it's time for the harvest. And so he wants to collect on the profit of the harvest. And so he sends a servant to collect what is due to him as the owner. And the people who've been working says, we ain't paying. In fact, they tell the servant, you better just turn around and hightail it out of here because it's not going to end well for you if you don't. And so he goes back and tells the master, no, sends another servant. This one, they beat him up. They beat him up bad. And the third, they send a third one, same thing, beat him up bad. The owner says, well, what am I going to do now? He says, I know. I'll send my son. Surely they'll listen to my son. And the story that Jesus tells is a foretelling about what's going to happen to him at the end of that week. Because they send his son, the owner sends his son, and the servants kill the son and send his body back to the father and and then jesus jesus quotes from psalm 118 in response to that and he tells them that the stone that the builders rejected would become the cornerstone what he's saying to them is who put you in charge what he is saying to them is god did And what he's saying is, hey, you might kick me out of the garden right now. You might murder me and send me back to the Father. But trust me when I tell you that the stone that you're rejecting is going to become the cornerstone for everything. And so we ask ourselves, who's our cornerstone? 
Where's our foundation? Because that's what the cornerstone is. It's that block that the whole foundation is built upon. And we all know that to build a good building, a good house, a good building of worship, whatever, you've got to have a good solid foundation. And the cornerstone is the key to that foundation. And Jesus is saying, without really answering straightforward at this point, their question, he's saying, me? Who put you in charge? Me? Me? And then he goes on and he asks this question. Or they asked this question. They said, okay, well, tell us this. You know, who should we pay taxes to? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? They're trying to, they're trying to trap Jesus. They're, they're trying to add, get him to say, no, don't do that. And then they're going to come down on him with the Roman authority. They're trying to trap him. So his response was this. I'll tell you how it goes. Give Caesar what is required by Caesar. And give God what is required by him. Uh, how do you respond to that? He kind of like, he kind of like, okay. Yeah, there, and there was no real good response. See, Christians are more and more being called to wrestle with this whole idea of what do we do about law? What do we do about our governmental law? That's what they're asking Jesus. Do we give our taxes? Do, do, we, do we pay taxes? Because we know now, we know now, it wasn't at that time in writing yet, but we know now Romans 13 tells us that we are as believers to obey the laws of the land. And so that's a real wrestle right now. In fact, a lot of things that have gone down this year, people say, oh, we've got to obey the laws of the land. And no doubt that's what we're called to do. If the laws of the land don't contradict the laws of God. Because you look in Acts chapter 5, in fact, down starting about verse 27, ending in verse 29, there's a story where they were telling Peter and the apostles to stop preaching. But in verse 29, Peter said, we must obey God rather than man. And so we've always got this dilemma going on of, yes, we want to be good citizens. We want to obey the laws of the land. But there comes that time when it's the laws of the land or the rules that are being forced upon a person and on a society disagree or, or differentiate that we've got to make that choice. See, the concept that authorities were created by God, put in place by God, is true. But the assumption... The assumption that God will put authorities in place that will make rules and even laws that contradict his own written word is a very, very delicate, slippery slope that you don't want to go down. Because if that happens, it changes all of this. And so they're trying to trap Jesus. And we're stuck with this this mandate that... Ultimately, yes, we obey the laws of land, but we've got to the end. We've got to obey God rather than man. Hmm. Then they pose another question. They ask a question about marriage. Now, the question is, is kind of a funny question about, okay, you know, based on if this per, you know, if this person's married and then their spouse dies and then they marry again and that spouse dies and they end up in heaven and who they're really married to do, who they're really married to. And so while it's about, while it's a question about marriage, it's really, it's really a question about the difference between heaven and earth. It's really like, okay, which one's more important? What happens here on earth or what happens in heaven? Do you remember the model prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Do you remember that prayer? And do you remember that a part of that prayer says, your will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. 
And what Jesus is saying is, what happens in heaven is the most important thing. And when you pray, you pray that what happens in heaven would start happening on earth, not the reverse of that. You know, we don't want what happens here on this broken, sinful, wretched earth to happen in heaven. We pray that your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. See, that's the question they're raising here with this, who's married to who at the end? And, and we don't apply or take ungodly earthly laws over the laws of God in heaven. We're to apply the law of God to the law of earth. And so he gets done talking about that. And at this point, we got to move quick. They stop asking questions. He goes to the fourth case study and he kind of interjects to the question. Jesus asks one more that points people to his deity. And, and this is, I mean, I hate, because this is a big deal. I mean, we could preach, I could be here the rest of the month talking about these next two or three verses. Because he introduces this whole idea of his, of his own deity. And he says that the Messiah could not be created. Understand that. Jesus, the Messiah that was there, who put you in charge? I did. The Messiah was not created because the Messiah was creator. That's fundamental to our faith. That Jesus, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature God, did you catch that? That he is God. Who being in the very nature God did not consider that equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but he humbled himself and became a man. See, the, the Messiah was. All right? Who put you in charge? I did. I did. Because I was the one there doing all of this. I did. I'm just the fleshly embodiment of God, the creator. Who put you in charge? I am in charge. You guys just don't get it yet. And now we got another book in. We got another book in. Who put you in charge? And here's all these explanations, these case studies. And then we get to the other book in, which is the book end of misused authority. Because you get all the way to the end of Luke chapter 20. And since he'd silenced their questions, he turned and spoke to the disciples now who were there watching all this. And understand this, when Jesus speaks to the disciples, he's speaking to us. Because what are we? We are disciples of Jesus 2,000 years removed from the moment that he was speaking. But it's still the lessons apply to us. And so Jesus is speaking to us and he says, beware of teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the place of honor and banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. What Jesus is saying at the end of this, who put you in charge, is, hey, guys, understand, earthly authority is temporary. Earthly, you guys think you're all that? You got that title? You got some initials after your name? You got this? You got that? Whatever? That's temporary. That's temporary. Titles are temporary. Titles are temporary. I get really uncomfortable. You put just Dave works just fine. If my mom's around, we'll go with David. But other than that, just Dave works just fine. Because as soon as you put a title before or after your name, it gets squirrely then. It gets really squirrely. It just, 
just, it's temporary. It's temporary. And right now we're in this weird time and this passage. I've just been amazed all this year long as we've been going through this. It seems like every week the passage was perfect for what was going on in a week. And we're in this time right now where we're getting ready. We're getting ready in the midst of this messed up world to, some of you have already done it, to cast ballots and to put people in authority. And we need to understand something. That our allegiance isn't to an elephant or a donkey, but it's to a lamb. And at the end of all of this, whatever this is, this doesn't matter. What matters is what goes on in heaven. Because everything earthly is temporary. Everything earthly is temporary. And and so we're getting caught up in the wrong things and the wrong ideas. The wrong ideas. Our allegiance is to the lamb that died for us. Who put you in charge? I did. And as part of being in charge, I'm going to die for you in three days from the time that he says this. I'm going to die for you. So guys, I, I, you know, that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot in a little time. But the bottom line about authority is each one of us have got to answer that for ourselves. What authority are you building your life on? And we sing, I will build my life on you. Okay, don't just sing it. Don't just sing it. What authority are you building your life on? Maybe most simply ask, who are you following? Who are you following? Our kids are growing up, putting their allegiance in athletes, superstars. Our kids are growing up watching movie stars and and singers. They're following that. They want to dress like them, talk like them, act like them. But why are they doing that? Because we did it. We did the same thing. Misplaced allegiances over and over and over again. I don't know how many young men that are now adult men that I've talked to. And it's not a statement about tattoos at all it's just that that they said yeah i get that my first tattoo was because of this thing that so and so said man i wish i could get it off of me because they grew up and they found out that person they were following wasn't worth following who are you following where's your allegiance who's in charge of your life what are you doing to help bring heaven to earth and to call down what is going on in heaven to earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you guys stand with me? Part of making all those decisions is making sure that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, that he is the authority. And and so Kevin, Stacy, and the band, they're going to lead us again. Jason's going to be down here. Uh, We've got elders in the room. We've got people that can pray with you. You need to take a step of faith. You need to go somewhere new in your journey. While we sing this song, why don't you build your life on the one you need to build your life on? Let's do that together. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder Show me who you are and fill
thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. Uh, as Jason said, if you need to get a prayer packet, they're over there. If this is your first time here, and thanks for coming. we got a special gift for you out at the I Am New Wall. Uh, a couple things real quick. Uh, some of you, a lot of you guys know uh, the Medley family. Uh, Keith's dad uh, passed this week in visitation funerals this afternoon. At Shannon's visitation starts at 1 o'clock. Uh, if you do want to stop by there. Also, there's something very special happening in our community today. Uh, in about, gosh, in about an hour from now, uh, there's a semi that's going to pull up in the parking lot uh, in front of Christ Community Church with 1,200 boxes of food and 1,200 gallons of milk to be distributed in the county. So if you have a need for that, please stop by. Or if you know someone, as many someones as you know, 1,200 boxes is a lot to distribute. On a big day at the Serenity Center, we do a little over 500, uh, 550 boxes to the family. So 1,200 in a day, we got to move some food today. So uh, we've got a couple people that are taking their trucks over there at 1030 and are going to bring stuff back here for the next two services. But you can go by there individually and get a box or two and take it. We just want to get this free food out to as many people who need it as possible as soon as we can. And so that's today. Uh, the truck will be there. They'll be ready for individual people to stop by at 11 o'clock uh, until it's all gone uh, this afternoon. So that's over there, Governor Square, uh, back behind McDonald's. And last thing, apologize about the temperature. We'll fix that. It was 80 degrees when we left here on Friday afternoon. And uh, so we will change the thermometer or the thermostat settings here momentarily. So anytime I can tell it's chilly, I know some of you are at the point of hypothermia. We have medical people around, and so if that's a problem, we'll take care of it. It's just part of the time of year. You guys have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Sunday.